Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And now, a Blaze Media podcast. Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. You can keep your heads when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowances for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or been lied about but don't deal in lies, or been hated but don't give way to hating and yet not look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools or watch the things you gave your life to broken, and stoop and build them up without worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long gone after they're gone and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, Hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, you'll be a man, my son. These famous words are a poem by Rupert Kipling, and the poem is called If. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Why did I start with that poem? I started that show today with this poem because we don't tell people what it takes to be a man anymore. You know, there are many reasons I love America. There are many reasons why I waited 18 years in line to get here. There is something about the American spirit. There is something about the American psyche that is deep within Americans of we can do it. That poem for me sums up America pretty much perfectly. It's what I imagine your forefathers would have said to future generations. You know that time when a boy becomes of age? And we make fun of it now. Well, are you going to have the talk? And the talk is always the birds and the bees and the sex talk and how babies are made and blah, 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 blah. But it's also another talk that we should have as fathers, as men in society, to our offspring. And before anyone starts going, oh my God, do you hear the rampant sexism he's talking about right now? Yes, women should have this talk with their daughters too. It's what it's like to be a grown-up. You see, right now we live in this culture. And it's a culture that maybe if we give them the best intent and say they don't mean any malice, they don't mean any badness by it, but it's a culture that likes to be a victim. It's a culture that says, oh, you can't do something. Oh, 
here's a participation trophy. Oh, uh, you can't make it? Oh, uh, well, there's some reason for it. Society is sexist. Society is ableist. I heard this term this week, which we're going to talk about later on in the show. Oh, your your society is full of bigots and homophobes and any other phobia that we want. And we say they're there now. It's not your fault that you can't achieve anything. You just never stood a chance. You know why I hate this message? I hate this message because it's the message I grew up under. I'm very conscious of what I say about Ireland for many reasons. One, because I still have family there. Two, I have learned long ago that Americans are not receptive to certain messages. When I say Ireland is not a freedom-loving nation, Americans literally have this shock look on their face as if I had said, Jesus doesn't exist or there is no God. Our Americans have bought the line that Irish are freedom-loving patriots and they're just like you. That there is no difference between Michael Collins, who is the great Irish patriot, and George Washington. You see, your culture has been watered down from within that says America is just like everyone else. You're not. I don't like sharing the news that Ireland is not a freedom-loving nation. I wish it was. I wish there were many other freedom-loving nations. But the other reason I don't talk bad about Ireland is because when you compare the tyranny I lived under, it's nothing compared to the tyranny that other countries have lived under. The tyranny I faced, the oppression I faced, which I did, and I can back it up with my life, is nothing compared to what a Cuban has faced and what a Cuban escaped from or what someone from Venezuela, or what someone from the Middle East left. That's real persecution. But when I was living in Ireland, what were we thought? We were taught to be, you know, give it a good old Irish try, but you'll never make it. Give it your best shot, but you'll never make it. That's ingrained in culture in Europe. Give it your best, but no. That if you don't know the right people or don't have the right access or don't have access to the right amount of capital, you will never make it. Why? Oh, an abundance of reasons. You don't come from the right family name. You don't come from the right class. You don't have the right gender. Even if you're one of those people that says, well, you know, the American thing, if you just graduate from high school and you work hard and you play by the rules, you can be successful. We discriminate based on colleges over in Europe. Oh, you only went to a little community college? Oh, you could get top marks from that community college. It wouldn't compare to a C from like one of the top pristine colleges. Why? Because you don't have the, you don't have the shine and the glitter and the glam that the fancy college had. But you gave it a good try. This is ingrained in culture around the world. I reject it. The spirit of America, that's something in your psyche that can only happen in America is there is no limit to what you can do. I'm amazed every time I read parts of your history, and I'm constantly learning. I've been reading not that much recently because I've been just so crazy busy on a, on a campaign that I'm involved in. But because I started watching Yellowstone with my wife, and you can have your opinions on Yellowstone and Kevin Costner and Liz Cheney and all these different things. When I've had some time, free time, where I'm not looking to delve into deep philosophical issues and, and deep, deep issues on your family principles to try and give you stories, which I've got many I want to share with you over the, the coming weeks and months. But just that expansion out West, the bravery it took. You know, our co-host here is from Utah. You know the, how much work it took to get to Utah? And Utah wasn't the end. They kept going. All the work, the sacrifice, the pain, there was something in that. And they wasn't just men who made this journey. It was women too. That's why I said at the start, before you start talking to me about rampant sexism, women need to have the talk with their daughters too of what life used to be like and what it is like to be a woman. What we are missing in society today is responsibility. You see, we've built and mollycoddled and made our kids weak. 
We have forgotten how to teach men to be men and women to be women. But we can still do it. We are at a pit tipping point, I believe, in our world. I don't know how this tipping point goes. I can see a point where we go into real dark tyranny. You look at what's going on in Russia this week. Look at what's going on. They're talking about nuclear power. Vladimir Putin on Thursday of this week said it's time for a new world order. That the West days are numbered. You look at what's happening in Iran. Iran, all the women there are going, no, we've had enough. We've had enough of the religious police. And they are arresting their people. They're arresting their people in such high numbers that there's no longer room in jails for them. So they've had to start releasing some to put new people in. You look at what's happening in China. China is building up its war machine, getting ready to invade Taiwan. And it could happen at a moment's notice. You look at what's happening in North Korea. Literally, we spoke about it, what, two, three weeks ago, where they were literally firing missiles over at Japan. Then you have non-war situations like Japan, where they literally, we will live in a lifetime. If you're under the age of 50, I believe you will see a world where there is no more Japan. Because they cannot incentivize or do anything to make their people have babies. Their culture is so far gone that they would much rather have sex virtually than with another person. We have all these problems. And yet we're focused in and on some of the stories we're going to talk about on ableism. On how if you're fat on a plane, you're too big. And that if you have charges for this, that well, this is dis disproportionately affects racists and people of my color and people of minorities. Look at what's happening in our world today. It's time to remove the BS and start talking about how to be a man again. Because as bad as the world could be, and I believe it is possible, and I don't say this lightly, I believe it is possible we will live in a world where anything we have read in a history book, from Genghis Khan to Lenin to Stalin to Hitler to Mao, to Che Guevara. No, he is not a hero. He's a scumbag. We'll all be eclipsed if we don't act. But as much as that fear I have of that could happen, I also have hope. Because see, I'm on the ground and I'm starting to talk to people and I'm seeing people and I'm seeing people wake up. I've seen people wake up and say, this is a bit too far. And when people start saying this is a bit too far, you have an opportunity. And it's not an opportunity as I've seen people waste opportunities where I am right now. When people say that's too far, well, this is why you have to vote for the Republican Party. Nope, that's not your answer. Or this is why we need Trump. Or this is why we need DeSantis. Or this is why we need Christy Nome. Or this is why we need Carrie Lake. Nope, wrong answer. It's time to remove politics and start talking about principles. Because there is an undertone in the culture right now, and I don't know if you feel it, but I feel it. I've been speaking about this for months. I think I've spoken about it all year. I felt it living here. For the first time in about five years, there's a shift where people who I would normally say never talk politics with them because they're on the wrong side and they buy this progressive lingo. They buy the big government. There's now a... This is not right. This is not an up. I've seen people who would be more friendly to the Black Lives Matter movement all of a sudden go, I don't think defunding the police is a good idea. Hmm, you don't? Yeah, let's have that conversation with you then. If we make things about principles, we can prosper. And this is where I bring you back to this country. America. You want to solve America's problems? I have said this, and I mean this with every fiber of my being. There is no problem we face right now that we cannot solve if we get our priorities right. Oh, John, it's $4 a gallon of gas. Yep. How do you solve it? Deregulation. Drill, baby, drill. Oh, John, the economy. How do you solve it? 
deregulate. Let people be free. Let people look for prosperity. Let people innovate and create anything they want to, and let them sell it to the people and let the people decide if there's a market for us. Oh, John, climate change. Oh, my God, the world is going to end. Yeah, maybe you're right. I don't, dis- I don't agree, but maybe you're right. Let the people innovate. How do you solve problems? A government regulation, a government rule, or through people's innovation and creativity? We have all these problems. Oh, but John, I've heard you talk about the debt. It's 30 trillion. You've said you're surprised that it even got to 10 and we're still here. Yes, the American people are resilient. Is your debt good? No, it's bad. But can it be solved? Absolutely. Imagine if you have another boom. Imagine if you have another oil boom and energy becomes cheap again. Imagine if we start building the economy on something stable and not on a stock market that is a house of cards and we build it on you, the people. Can you imagine how quickly you'd pay off that debt? Now, I'm not going to say you're going to pay it off in six months or a year, but if you started putting the trend where you could pay it off in 20 years, your economy would be the most stable economy in the world. The question is, who's going to own the future? And this question is a question that we have faced since the dawn of time. Is it going to belong to tyrants? Is it going to belong to tyrants who may act like soft tyrants? They might be benevolent. They might be on your side, but make no mistake, evil even a soft evil or the lesser of two evils is still evil. A soft tyrant, while he may be soft and they may be benevolent, is still a tyrant. Does the future belong to those? Or does the future belong to the people? Does the future belong to a set of people who are courageous enough to stand up and say, not in our name? And a people that says and acknowledges a simple fact That when you unleash the energy and individual genius of man to inspire, to innovate, to create, that there is nothing we can't do. Look at the world that we live in. We live in skyscrapers. Now, I'm not saying man is everything because you have to put your priorities in order. But 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, skyscrapers were not the norm. They were very rare. It was a massive deal when you saw these big buildings. Today, they're pretty much commonplace because we've become so used to them. 200 years ago, if you went back to George Washington and said there's going to be buildings 1,700 feet in the air, he would have said impossible. Actually, no, he wouldn't have said impossible. Why? Because of the American spirit. He would have said, probably one day. In this country, there is no limits. Why? Because man is meant to be free. And when man is free, man prospers. What are we going to be like? Now, we can have the political solutions. We're going to talk about some political stories. But we also have a responsibility in our families. It's time to be men. Hey, without sounding like all Alex Jones, where have all the men gone? And the frogs are gay. I'm not doing an Alex Jones impression. We need men to be men again. In case you think, well, that's just your opinion and there's nothing to back that up. Why is Jordan Peterson so popular? Why is Jordan Peterson so popular? You see, the problem is we have a problem in society. And it's a problem that has been around all the time. And this is where the tyrants fail, the socialists fail, the big government fail. You see, there is inequality in society. There are people who will always be held down. The question is, how do you solve that problem? You see, right now, there's been this movement for the last 100 years, the women movement, the the right to vote, making equality. I'm the most pro-woman that you can be. I'm not a feminist, though. How do you solve that? The society's solution has been, let's tear men down. Let's make men weaker so women, by default, can be stronger. Is that the answer? Nope. The answer is, let's make women stronger. If we have people in society who are told they can't do something, You know what the funny thing is? I'm usually the person, if I find out about who I reach out to and say, you can do it. Anyone that tells you you can't do something, reject it. Reject it. Work your butt off to make it happen. Now, if you're saying, someone says to you, John, you'll never hit a ball like Tiger Woods. Well, that might be true, but you can work at it 
and you might become pretty damn good at it. You might be able to hit a ball like Tiger Woods, but you might be the best person in your area. You might be the best golfer in your golf club. You never stop trying to be the best that you can be. But knowing that when you live in America, there is anything that anything is possible. Look at everything you've achieved. Allow me to remind you real quickly just who the hell you are. We are as Americans. You're the country that at your founding said what? To the greatest superpower of the day, you are not welcome here. It's time for a divorce. You were a bunch of peasants and farmers. Didn't have shoes, didn't have bedding. A lot of you didn't even have muskets. And you're going to take on the superpower today, which not only have shoes, not only have blankets, have clothes. They have fancy clothes. They have all those red jackets with the fancy lapel buttons. Not only did they have all the clothes, they had all the guns. There wasn't one man in the British Army who didn't have a gun if they were warranted one. But they also had cannons. That's the biggest mismatch in history. And you think you can beat them? Yep. Because of the American psyche. Because as General Wayne says, you were men and women who acted like they were determined to be free. To prove that wasn't a fluke again, you bet them again in 1812. You're the country that had a civil war over slavery and you won. You're the country that won World War I, won World II, the Vietnam War, the Cold War. You know, at the time in the Cold War, when everyone was saying mutually assured destruction mad, where both sides had nuclear weapons and there was no way to win this. And then there were voices that were going around. Well, what we need is a detente. What we need to do is accept a lesser form of socialism from Russia. Well, guess what? You won that war and you won it without a rocket being fired because you had a president that had the audacity to say, Mr. President, tear down this wall. You're the country that has explored everything from the swamp to the stars. I was watching a program and I don't know how long, how new or how old it was. I think it was like two weeks ago, I was on, on a Sunday night or Saturday night, I was just in the hotel room and I put on, I think it was either Discovery or History, it was one of those channels, and it was a show on the Titanic. You could see the ship in the most high definition I have ever seen, and I've watched a, quite a few of those episodes. This is a ship that is down at the bed on the Atlantic. And you could see it, and there was people having this uh, drone-type thing that goes underwater, literally going in around the Titanic. It was amazing to see. And in such clear, crystal-high definition. We're the country that went to the moon and planted that a great American flag. This is who we are. And you're telling me we can't beat this? We can. We must. But we must act and believe that we can do this. And it starts with every one of you listening, talking to your sons, talking to your daughters, empowering them, saying, build the best life that you can do. Because not only will you prosper, but everyone else will prosper too. And with that being said, we welcome Tina to the show. Tina, how are you today? Hello, Jonathan. I am great. It's nice to see you. It's nice to see you too, even though most people can't see us. Thanks for the God. No, they can't, but Jonathan looks great. Uh, he, do- he does, does he? <laughs> <laughs> That's nice to know, because um, I don't think he does. Um, so let me have it with the double barrels on the monologue. You know, let men be men again. I would definitely like to piggyback off a few of the things that you said. Okay, go for it. I love this, and I'm sure you have heard of this. It goes with that poem that you read, I think, in a lot of ways. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. Where do you think we are, Jonathan? We're right towards the end of that. Weak men create hard times. And we're living in hard times, or about to start living in really hard times. Okay, this next part is funny. You were comparing, who was it that you were comparing to George Washington? Michael Collins. I just gave an Irish example of a, an Irish general. Okay, well, I couldn't help but think of this. This will make you laugh. I have a friend that's Canadian. Okay. And this was a while back, probably about a year ago. And I was curious. I said, 
who is your George Washington? Because in my naive, how do you say that? Na- naivety. <laughs> naivety. Why am I not being able to say that? Because <laughs> you started to work with me and now you're starting to bullshit the language. You're welcome. I asked her, who is your George Washington? Thinking that she was going to come up with some marvelous example. And the person that she came up with was Trudeau. I'm assuming she meant the the current prime minister's father. Okay, That is as close as she could get to George Washington. We do not realize in this country how special of a man he was. Yes. The amount of people you have, like, you know, it's like, I'm obviously me and you were in lockstep. We're very partial to George Washington, but like there was so many families, George Washington, even John Adams, um, you know, in some ways I actually relate a lot to John Adams because of, he was grumpy and mean and, you know, like kind of that way. And if I if I had been sent to France at the same time John Adams was sent to France, I probably would have acted worse than John Adams. And that's saying something because um, he acted horribly. But I, under- I understand why. And there's a part of me inside of me that wants to act that way as well, especially in those scenarios. Um, you know, Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, um, John Locke. You know, obviously John Locke wasn't a founder, but he inspired it. Uh, George Mason. Um, you know, there's so many people. Um, James Madison, father of the Constitution. Thomas Paine. You know, there are all these people who, for different reasons, played an integral role in in your founding. Even like people like John Locke, who wasn't part per se part part of your founding, but you know, his treatises um, in helped inspire the Declaration of Independence. So there's so many people. Um, then you talk about all the generals and stuff. It's General Wayne. Um, an amazing story. Um, there's so many people that you you could have as heroes, but you know, like when you think of Canada, you know, Trudeau isn't even like. And if you understand history, you know why I'm going to make this comparison. Trudeau isn't even Alexander Hamilton in your founding. And in case you don't know what that reference is, Alexander Hamilton had the audacity in Philadelphia at your constitutional convention to suggest that you should have a a, a king after fighting for independence. And the founders found that so repugnant, they ignored him for like months because they just said, we just left the king. We fought a war against the king and you want to put us under a king again? You're crazy. I, I take Alexander Hamilton over Trudeau. The last point I want to make, I know how much you love TikTok, Jonathan. Oh, you know, that's why I'm so busy. Every, you know, this is a little dirty little secret. When I say I'm super busy, I'm literally on TikTok all the time, literally just getting me, me some TikTok. Well, I will admit, is it am I TikToking? Is that is that what you know? Like you know, you're twittering, you're Facebooking. Is is TikToking a thing? I don't know. Okay, I'll have to ask my 14 year old about that. She'll be able to tell me. But the reason why I bring that up, this is my last point here. My husband laughs at me because sometimes I like to cause contention on TikTok. You know, I like to put comments in people's. Uh, profiles or not profiles in their accounts where they uh, disagree with me on many things. And there's one lady, I don't know why I follow her. I need to stop following her. She's basically obsessed with misogyny. She's obsessed Mm -hmm. with misogyny and basically pretty much all men are evil. But one of the things that she said, I can't remember the exact words, but she was talking about men and maybe how dangerous they are and how they cause harm. And many women are afraid of them. And I had put in a comment that I was not afraid of my husband, that my husband has always been a protector. And Jonathan, this is so screwed up because another person put on there, I don't need a man to protect me that she was strong and that she could handle everything on her own. And my first thought was, why is it so horrible to be a strong man? Because a strong man is not a man who inflicts violence on his family. That is not a strong man. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I put in the comments is I said, huh, you know, because I'm pretty sure that it was a bunch of strong men who stormed beaches of Normandy. Yeah. It is profoundly sad that 
strong men are looked down upon. We need strong men. I think I said that in there. We need strong men. And that mm-hmm. is completely disregarded by so many people now. What mm-hmm. is wrong with strong men? Because, well, one is is what I always find funny about these people is if you remember earlier this year, all the, the feminists who were like, we hate strong men and all men are evil. All of a sudden went Guga Giga for Zelensky. Oh, I'm not. I, some of the stuff I saw written about that guy, like it was borderline pornographic, you know. And these are just on sites, like what they would do to him and what they, you know, what they'd let him do to hurt them and stuff. And it's, it's just, you know, it's incredible. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, Russia invades Ukraine, and all of a sudden the men go fighting, and all of a sudden, well, being strong, being a strong man isn't such a bad thing. But the problem is, is that we have lost the identity of what a man is and what a woman is. And look. We, do, I can't rewrite history. I can't change history. You know, where was the way some of the women tr- were treated in the past in their worlds horrific? <laughs> You've no argument here. You know, like the way we have treated women has been horrifically wrong. So that's why I say, like, I'm pro woman. Like, if you want to do certain things as a woman, go for it. But like, you know, the simple facts, and this is science. You know, for those people who like science out there. Men are generally more masculine. Women are more feminine. What does that generally mean? Guys like stuff. Women love people. You know, this is why certain jobs don't translate well. You know, you're not going to exactly see a lot of women who like people get into like mathematical genius level because it's not in their psyche. They want more. Now, is it possible it can be a mathematical genius? Absolutely. Is there anything stopping them? No. Um, if they work hard enough. And I like if, if there was some oppression, I would speak out against it. If someone said, you're a woman, you can't do this, I'd be the first person to say, that's discrimination. No, stop. But it's unlikely because of the demographics. But even on the strength thing, we've built this, like where we hierarchy, where in our minds, where guys that are more, and we just, obviously it's not always uniformity like this, but the typical role of the guy is physically stronger, but the woman is mo- emotionally stronger, as if there's some hierarchy of needs that needs to compete with each other. You need to have them both working together. This is why, if I may say it from a Christian, when you're married, you become two bodies, you become one. So you merge. So the best of the man and the best of the woman hopefully negates any of the negatives that they both have and they become one body and they become one kind of like super body because it's a family unit. And that is a good thing. Like you don't want people to have go into a relationship, you know, like women actually are hurting themselves. And, you know, there's been science on this where when you dismean men to his point of level, they don't want, there's no one for them to date. Because most people don't want to date lesser than themselves. They don't want to date, you know, whether it's looks-wise, whether it's money-wise, whether it's power-wise, whether it's context-wise, whatever reason you date people and or a combination of the other. If you demean men to a certain point, there's no one for them to date because there's no one on their level. So they're actually only hurting themselves, which is rather sad. And before we continue on, one final thing is let's not forget that the Black community is suffering the most from this viewpoint on men as many households are without the men. And we've seen what's happened to that community. Yeah. Like even if you believe in all this, you know, other stuff, adoption and different things, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying no matter what your belief in or whether you believe to be only one man, one woman adopt, or it should be two gay people or, or whatever your criteria on adoption is. Let us not forget that the most ideal situation for any pair of family is to have one man and one woman. Now, sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes there's a tragedy, sometimes there's a divorce, whatever it is. But that is the ideal scenario. And that's something we should always strive to be for, that you have that. Why? Because men have different attributes than women, and both of them are key. Like, I'm just, I, can only, I can only talk personally for myself. My father was my hero. My father played a massive role in my life. But my, I would be lost without my mother as well. Like, I've learned so much from her, good and bad, and, you know, positive and negative. It's not an either or. Like, you can't say to me, would I be the same person if I didn't have my father? No. But likewise, I wouldn't be the same person without my mother because they both played different roles. They both had different personalities. They both have different characteristics. I learned so much from both of them. This idea that we can just learn from one, I think is, I think we're doing ourselves such a short service. Yes. Yes. You that's agree? my final word, Jonathan. That's, yes. your, that's your final word.
So on to happier topics. Did you watch any of the debates this week? I actually missed them because I was in Wisconsin visiting my niece, but I did read up on some of them. Awesome. So did you hear, oh my God, did you hear about this one candidate in Philadelphia? Are we talking this, about this, Fetterman? Yes. Yeah, Fetterwoman, I'll have you know. He changed his name. <laughs> on a separate note, before we get to the story, one of the things that amazes me is you would think when you go through school, and I'm not saying I'm smart, I wasn't the best student, because um, I just had, didn't have a lot of interest in a lot of stuff, but I'm not dumb either. Why are we still learning about all these new words of, of discrimination? So did you ever hear of ableist prior not, to this week? Uh, I think I've probably heard it one or two times before, but only in the last year or so. I don't remember. Maybe I have heard and it's just maybe it's like one of those things I heard it prior to this and it went into my trash file or my junk mail file in my in my head and just went, yeah, you don't need that. Just discard that. Like all these different, you know, all these different words that society creates today, like twerking. It's like, yeah, don't need that. I'm never going to use the word twerking, even though I just used the ironic. But, you know, it just goes it just into the brain. You're like, huh, that's interesting. Next. But why are we always looking to create a victim? It's easier to blame someone than to try to pull yourself out of your own hole, isn't it? It is. Do you see how society has made this like literally the, the most noblest profession? It's crazy. Jonathan, why don't you share with the viewers exactly what are the viewers, the listeners, I should say. Why don't you share with the listeners exactly what we're talking about? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to say that we don't have any viewers. So it's <laughs> which is just as well for everyone, because. You know, right now, just so you know, I've you've got the backdrop of me in a, in a fi nice, fancy hotel room. It would, be a, it would be not a nice set. So basically, long story short, Philadelphia, um, the great state of Pennsylvania, um, there was a debate this week, and they're running for Senate. There's two people, Dr. Merritt Oz, the guy from Oprah. I think it's Mehmet. Mehmet, I apologize. I, hey, I butcher language. And John Fetterwoman are running for Senate. And John Fetterwoman was, you might remember, was basically off the campaign for several months. He, he got a stroke, has this massive lump on his neck, can't speak properly. Um, and they gave this, you know, I've never seen this before. And maybe it's been done in a, in, in a smaller debate before, but basically gave him closed captioning um, the whole way through this debate. And now, like I'm reading one of these liberal articles um, about a liberal journalist saying, this is how you bully people with disabilities by asking them to debate. How is this possible? This is a race where one of these men will be a senator for the state of Pennsylvania for the next six years. Mm -hmm. Would you not want the person representing your state to be a person who is physically and mentally capable of doing the job? Mm hmm and yet it is discrimination to question whether he is mentally and physically fit to do such a job. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense to you, Jonathan? No, but nothing makes sense to me anymore. I did love this one quote. I want to read this one out to you. Times editor Blake Hounshell also provided his quick analysis because this is what we need. I bear in mind, just remember, he gave his quick analysis into about what I'm about to say, writing that it is a, quote, weird tradition for potential U.S. senators to condense their answers into 60-second soundbites. Yes, because, Mr. Hounshell, there is no such thing called Twitter where we have to condense everything down into 280 characters or less, which is considerably less than 60 seconds, or get your opinion destroyed or get it taken out of context. It's an odd notion, he continued, of what the job requires. Why is it so odd to ask people to answer questions in 60 seconds? Where is it that I have seen that if you can't explain something, oh, I know it has to do with investing, Jonathan. If you cannot explain what you are investing in, in so many words, like if you don't understand the concept of whatever it is that you're investing in in the stock market, that you should not invest in it because you don't understand. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that be the same for this? Yes. It's amazing, isn't it? 
Let me tell you the quote that I thought you were going to say, Jonathan, because mm-hmm. this is, I thought for sure you would do this and maybe it is on your agenda there. I do support fracking and I don't, I don't, I support fracking and I stand and I do support fracking. So you do support fracking, but you don't, but, but I doesn't. do, but he does. No, I thought I, the funniest quote I heard was this, the, the first one that was actually from him was it was his first words of the night. Hi, good evening, everybody. Why should this not be a problem for the people of Pennsylvania that he needs closed captioning so he can follow the conversation? How do we expect him to follow the conversation when he is in Washington, D.C., fighting for the good people of Pennsylvania? Because you have to tell people why you're best person for the job. Don't you don't you think the people have the right to, to have that? I don't know. I'm just, are they going to slow down what they're talking about for him on the Senate floor? Oh, I can see. They'll have closed captioning on the Senate floor. He'll have it in front of him. It's, it's, the Senate is a snooze fest. Like of all the bodies to do, that is the one body he could belong in because, you know, him and Mitch McConnell and all these old people in there, you know, DC is like, is like a retirement home. So, so why not? But like the idea that you can't question someone now, like this is the one thing that always annoys me about your culture is how far you've strayed from the founding. The reason the president was called the president was because that was the lowest title they could find. They lived in times of kings and queens and emperors and all these fancy lordships and all your highness. And they said, well, what's the lowest title? President, cool. Give it to him. But now you've become so ingrained with these people that you you look up to them. You're so emboldened by them. They're like, oh, so-and-so is my political hero. What have they done? Well, they ran for office or they they became president or they became congressman. George Washington is my hero, not because he was a president. He's a hero because of everything he did up to becoming president. And he was a pretty damn good president as well. Can politicians be heroes? Yes. But constantly having them as your hero is wrong. And then you're getting to the point where you've made them so iconic that you give them their titles after they leave. Like, I'll never forget, I had this conversation. I might share it on the air. It was a joke conversation. They said, what would happen if you ever met Donald Trump? How would you greet him? I'd be like, Mr. Trump, probably out of respect, or if I got on well with him, Donald. And he's like, you wouldn't say Mr. President? I went, no, he's not the president anymore. Yes, but he was. But the way you would greet, you know, Newt Gingrich is always on Fox, Mr. Speaker. He hasn't been the speaker for 23 years now, Mr. Speaker. No, lose your title. You're just news. There is no nobleness, but you make these political people icons and heroes to the point now where you're like, Fetterman, if you even question him or demand he turn up to a debate, you're ableists, and it's a form of discrimination. But you mentioned about going to Wisconsin this week. I I want your thoughts on this. Did you hear this story about if you're a bigger person, and I can say this, I'm a bigger person. Um, airline seats should cost more. This is a contentious issue for people. I will fully disclose, when I, I am a bigger person, I always make it my mission when I'm on a plane to try and make myself as small as possible, uncomfortably so. Like I literally will tuck my elbows in and like give them the armrest if I can just to be as nice because I'm a bigger person and I'm like, I don't want a smaller person feeling, oh my God, this big guy. So I always try and go over the top. I see people the exact opposite. They're like, yeah, arms out everywhere. Yeah, baby, this is me. Love me, love me, love me and all, love all of me. And I'm going to be on half of my seat and half of the seat to either side of me and I'm just going to take over. This is a question that should be asked. First of all, should airline seats be bigger? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Even small people say yes. However, if you bring in a law that says, you know what, if you're a bigger person, you need to have a bigger price. Once it's the free market decides this, I'm cool with it because there will be some airline that says, if you're a bigger person, fly with us, we'll be fine. And free market will solve this. But Did you hear that President Biden, our wonderful president, and yes, I will join you and say our wonderful president, even though I didn't vote for him, hashtag not my president, said that claiming extra cost of roomier airline seats is unfair to people of color. He's assuming that, what is he assuming there, that they're overweight (laughs) or that they don't have the money to pay for it or both? everything all of the above it's this culture of entitlement of victimhood 
that everything is racist. If you want to see racism, you'll find racism everywhere. This is the world we live in. Imagine what happened that I just said in my monologue about Russia, about Ukraine, about China, about COVID. And I don't think I brought COVID up. Um, but everything that's going on, gas prices, inflation, and your president has time to talk about an airline story, about a person got uncomfortable on an airline because you had to sit between two fat people. <laughs> that's what they started with. And now your president is talking about it. Does this sum up, America, right now, how your priorities are so far out of whack? Can I bring TikTok into it again, Jonathan? Oh, absolutely. You know me, I, if, if, I don't, if I don't talk about TikTok every five minutes, I literally go crazy. I saw this conservative student going around and asking Black Americans this question because you know, there is a big thing about voter ID being discriminatory. Mm -hmm. So this conservative student was asking black people, do you have a driver's license? Yes, I have a driver's license. Why wouldn't I have a driver's license? Mm -hmm. He would go around and ask all these people, do you have ID? Yes, I have ID. Why wouldn't I have ID? Just wondering if you have ID. It's the same thing here, isn't it? Yeah. It's crazy. We're just looking for victims. And what annoys me the most is that people have bought this victimhood so much. Literally, all you're doing is giving politicians power. Let's not make any of these stories a story. Let's just talk about victimhood in general. Imagine you have a victim. Which is more healthy for someone like me, which would be my approach, to go up to them and say, I'm really sorry you've had this happen to you. Pick you up. Help you, maybe give you charity through a church or through an organization or through, you know, 501c3 or whatever charities under and give you some help, get you back up on your feet and say, dust yourself off. Don't let this stop you, that you're still alive. You know, it's it sucks that you've gone through, but you can still make recover from this and you can still have the best life that you could possibly imagine. Or if we say, which the other side wants to say is, hey, listen, you've had this victimhood. Lay down, be a victim the rest of your life had all these hopes and ambitions, but I couldn't do it because of so-and-so. Couldn't do it because of the man. I couldn't do it because of ableism. I couldn't do it for whatever reason. Which is better for society? Which is better for the individual? What is that old adage, Jonathan? Uh, give a man a fish, he eats for a day, teach him to fish, and he eats for a lifetime? Something like that? Yeah, something along. I think I read that in a great book one time. But that's what we're doing. But here's what, what's annoying me, is that because it's become so ingrained in the culture that we're literally fooling ourselves that giving a man a fish every day is somehow compassion. I wonder if there is another agenda, which I believe there is, because if these people rely on you, you have a job. Exactly. If I'm the man, the, the gatekeeper of the fish, why would I want to teach you how to fish? Because then you won't need me. But if I have a job every day, if I have to give you a fish and I have to give you a fish and I have to give you a fish and I have to give you a fish, I have a job. But also, I get myself worth from, well, look at these people. Look at all these people I've helped, Tina. Look, I'm the good guy. And you're over there saying, don't give him a fish and give him a little fish and run a bit of bait and say, go ahead a fish. How uncompassionate are you? I'm the one giving the person a fish. Look how awesome I am. You're the problem. And we build this phony compassion up in society. And it needs to be addressed. And we need to break this barrier down. Because which life is fuller? The man that's constantly been told and put in their place going, there's your fish for today. What happens if you don't like that fish? Like imagine you're saying the fish is a, a cod. Well, cod might seem great the first day, you know, like it's, it's, gee, that's tasty. You know, I haven't eaten in a few days. And then the next day it's cod. And it's like, oh, okay. By day three or day four, you might be like, you know what? I fancy a bit of salmon or I fancy a bit of ray or I fancy a bit of catfish. I want something different. Well, no, there's your fish. You know, you get what you take. Well, I don't like this life. Well, that's what you're getting when I give you fish. You should be grateful. I'm the one who's helping you. I'm on your side. And that's where you see the anger coming in and you're starting to see it in the politics because the people who used to always get those votes and all of a sudden they're not going that way anymore. There's starting to be a shift. So it's like, why aren't you happy? Look at all the stuff we've done for you. And now you want to leave and go vote for the person who wanted to give you a fishing rod? This is a fundamental question. Or God forbid, which is part of the reason why it's happening too, is that 
they're not giving them the fish every day. Yes. People are going, wait, that's not what you said was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And these are the problems we're having in society. And this is a question, what what are we going to do with it going forward? And the question is, either we have courage. I know we've been speaking about courage a lot the last few weeks. But courage starts in the individual. Courage is contagious. You've seen this. You've seen it in your own life. Look at all the people you've spoken to on your show, Tina. All these brave people. The impact they have had. They've had so many obstacles and they've overcome. That courage has been contagious. It's gone all the way through. And that's something we need to share with people. But courage starts at the individual. It's too hard to say, look at everyone else. Go, well, you be courageous for me. You do this for me and then I'll follow. No, we need to take lead in our own families. We need to talk to our own families. We need to teach the next generation. That it's okay to be afraid, but also that you can overcome things. Because look at the history, and especially in this country. I wish Americans knew their history better. Look at what you've overcome. I said it in the monologue. If you didn't listen to it, go listen to it again. I said it in the monologue. Look at everything you've overcome. You can overcome this. The problem is everyone's tired and pissed off, and they've fooled themselves by believing those emotions that they can't. But if they remember their history, they were tired and pissed off too. That's no excuse. It's time to act with courage. So who have you got on your show this week, Tina? On my show this week, We the People, Our American Story, my guest is Al Palmer. Al Palmer is a veteran mentor for the Utah Veterans Court, and he is going to talk and share with us everything that we need to do to help our veterans which sadly right now we are not achieving great things for them. You can catch his episode by going to www.wethepeopleouramericanstory.com and finding your favorite platform. And finally, we salute the U.S. military, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. I salute you, the great American people. America, the question is yours in your life, in your family. Do you want to be a victim or do you want to be empowered and make the best life you can for your family, for yourself and for this country? Your history is built on making the impossible possible. Reject being a victim. If there is some discriminatory, let's fight together and let's fight to get past it. But let us not have victims where the politician is empowered. Because why? Because of the sentiments of the Dokeville. America is great because Americans are good. You're not great because you're politicians. You're not great because of your presidents. You're not great because of political parties. You're great because of your people. America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, have a beautiful and blessed week. Subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.